glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Radius Moment, I want to bring you up to date on the newest version of identity theft, how it could really confound you, the banks, the credit bureaus, and what you need to know, the mystery that could affect you with your credit. And coming up yet later, new news for you about student loan forgiveness. I'm going to fill you in on some new developments that require that you act quickly to take advantage of them. So a lot of buzz in the financial community, not much otherwise, about Walmart being rumored to either be going into a joint venture with Humana or potentially even buying Humana. There's a big urge to merge across healthcare and across retail with uh, big pharmacy operations, the mergers that have been going on with the drugstore chains, the pharmacy benefits managers, and something that is not really considered or talked about is Walmart employs a zillion people, the largest non-governmental employer in the United States, and they employ, depending on how you measure it, a million and a half to a little over two million people. And so Walmart is a ginormous payer of health care bills to its own people. And they've been trying in many creative ways to get the, the costs under control and at the same time improve the quality of care their employees receive. In addition, Walmart's pharmacy counters write a giant boatload of prescriptions each year. And so Walmart in some ways, is really already in the medical field. And in this jockeying of big players trying to figure out, in Walmart's case, how to reduce their own costs, and on the other hand, provide better services in the healthcare arena to its own employees, there's stuff coming because the way we're doing healthcare in the United States obviously doesn't work. It's going to require a lot of innovation, creativity, and experimentation. And I know there are people who just despise Walmart. I particularly look forward to seeing what Walmart is able to do with a joint venture or a totally owned operation of Humana because the access, availability, affordability of health care is a big problem in the United States. And there's a dividing line. As a general rule, the top 20% of income earners in the United States have uh, pretty good access to what's known as continuity of care, to health care, or overwhelmingly insured through a place of work, and don't face the instability that most Americans face with access to health care and also 
stable insurance coverage. So good luck, Walmart. Hope you're able to figure things out that will benefit all of us as we do something about the health care cost equation in the United States uh, that is more than double the equivalent cost per person in any other developed country. Drea joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Drea. How are you? Hi. Hi, Clark. I'm good. How are you? Good. So you are a fellow lover of travel. I am. I love it. I want to make it full time. What's your favorite place in the world? Um, well, my family goes up to Virginia, Wisconsin every year, and that's just like, I guess I'm sort of biased towards that, but I want to go everywhere, so... Well, going everywhere is something that I have failed to accomplish. Do you know the two places on earth I've not been yet? How many? So I've not been in the United States. I've not been to North Dakota. And of the world's continents, I've not been to Antarctica. Okay, well, you got like six out of seven, so that's pretty good. I'm getting there. Do you know why I won't go to Antarctica? Why? Because it's cold? No, because I'm a wimp. I can't deal with the waves. You know, when you oh. <laughs> when you leave southern South America on your way down to Antarctica, the waves are 40 to 60 feet high. Oh, my gosh. And uh, that, no. that sounds like no fun at all. But the funny thing is, if you get through it uh, in reasonable shape and you get down to Antarctica, you still get to look forward to going through the 40 to 60 foot waves coming back to South America. So (laughs) yeah, that's not for me. Well, (laughs) as a fellow travel lover, how can I be of service to you? So like I said, I want to make travel full time. And one of the opportunities that I was looking into was starting a blog because um, I'm a gifted writer and I'm interested in sharing um, stuff like that and finding my nooks and starting to build up that. So, I did a lot of research, and I found an online um, a sort of webinar, um, kind of an online class that guides you through the um, whole experience of building a blog, um, you know, how to build it, and then going into um, running it successfully, generating revenue, and, uh, you know, starting to partner with brands and stuff as you're traveling. And, and how much and, is um, it? writing on these things. I'm sorry. How much is it? Uh, it's around three hundred dollars, so that's why I'm hesitant. I don't want to like just throw my money away. Yeah, I mean the 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 course you may be looking at may be perfectly legitimate, may be great, but that mm-hmm. is too much money. I mean, I'm pulling up right now on Udemy. Have you ever heard of Udemy? I have not. U D E M Y dot com, which offers U-D-E-M-Y. a zillion different online courses. And the prices on the courses change continually, but I'm looking right now, and there's one, um, how to start a travel blog. That's specifically what you're asking about, right? Correct, yeah. It's $11.99. Oh, really? Wow, okay. (laughs) And it goes through uh, all the steps involved in, uh, you know, getting your own domain name, how Mm -hmm. how to build your blog using off-the-shelf stuff like WordPress, and then how to, how to successfully find audience and target that audience with the information they're looking for. Okay. And, you know, my attitude everything. is 
start with the $11 course. And mm-hmm. if you don't like it or you feel like it's not really speaking to you, you've lost $11. Right. But Udemy well, also has a wide variety of courses on blogging in general that are very good that go okay. through blogging. And with travel, you need to think with an, another letter starting it, a V for victory, because so much of the travel stuff now is a combination blog and vlog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people want to see the pictures, they want to see uh, short video clips, and you need to become like somebody who's like, hey, you know, Drea's really the go-to person for blah, blah, blah type of travel. And you want them to identify with you, and they need to see you, and you show them what it is you're interested in. So I hope that you have a great career in this, because... I'm so into people being out there spreading the good word about how valuable for our lives travel is. You know, what we really treasure over time are experiences, not things. And travel is one of my all-time favorite things that I ever do. And you're getting right in the middle of it. Jeannie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeannie. Hi there. Hi, Clark. Jeannie, now you want to talk about something with travel that's not good at all. <laughs> that's right. What happened? It was a bummer. You know, I love to go to New York City. I love it. And um, I had not been in several years, and I had a chance to meet a friend up there. And, and I set up an Airbnb in Harlem that was a really good price. And I knew exactly how to get from JFK to, you know, to to that place. Everything was cool. But then I was in the security check-in line at the airport when I got a call from Airbnb customer service that my host had canceled. Canceled and on the day been, of arrival? Yeah. I Wait, wait, wait. I've heard of Airbnb them. hosts canceling like a few days out, a week out. Right on somebody day of they better have had a good excuse like the building just burned down or something i know somebody had to have died (laughs) you know but there was no excuse there was no excuse given and um you know i had been texting with him just a couple hours earlier about picking up the key i mean everything was fine and so I was like shocked. I was just stunned and I had no idea what to do. And I still had to get to my gate <laughs> on the D concourse, you know, I mean, I was just, and the Airbnb lady was trying to be really helpful. She sent me links to alternate, you know, places that were close by and, you know, all this I'm doing on my phone while I'm trying to go through security with the bins and everything. So did you go ahead and go to New York, or did you bail the trip right then? You know, I had to bail. Oh, I, got, I, I contacted I two that. alternates, but they both turned me down because it was last minute, and they weren't prepared, and the plane was loading. And I had, you know... What did I, Airbnb I do for you in that situation? You know, they were great. The customer service was awesome. I have to say she was just wonderful. She um, got me, you know, full refund with 20% over that. And she paid, they paid the um, the uh, cancellation fee that the airline was going to um, charge me. 
Well, I was. I thought you were going to start telling me this nightmare how Airbnb not only canceled on you but said, "Ah, well." So they they stepped up (laughs) like they should. No, it was nothing like that. They really were great. Wow. Honestly, I felt like their policy needs to change. That's why I contacted you. What policy? Well, the, that the the host can cancel at any point. I well, could have arrived they don't, on this okay. guy's doorstep. So, so actually, the way Airbnb system <laughs> works is that there is clear punishment of somebody who does a cancel on somebody. Right. You may not notice it, but behind the scenes, they make it really clear to Airbnb hosts what the consequences are. And okay. you were allowed to post a guest review that is public have you done that yet yes i did all right and if you go look at the listing you'll see it's right there for anybody to see yeah and then what airbnb does is they put the person kind of on probation okay and they also will keep that individual from being able to make it into their elite club what's it called it's like super super host Mm. or something that Mm. is really important to generating revenue from an airbnb listing so they do have uh consequences for that individual Mm -hmm. but airbnb doesn't own the places so they have no way to compel that individual to perform yeah and so it's kind of like a collective wisdom thing Mm -hmm. and they did um, a great thing for you, not their fault that somebody using Airbnb as a host did this to you and dissed you so badly, but they refunded your money, no question, and gave you mm-hmm. 20% money and covered your change fee. Even though you were so inconvenienced, that was not Airbnb's doing, and that host will suffer. So I think that's the best we can hope for and have you, you know, rebooked to new york pay yet? attention the reviews because somebody else had said that they, he had canceled on them too i don't know that it was such a last minute deal have you rebooked to new york yet Jeannie? oh no not yet oh okay. please rebook that trip i heard such anticipation in your voice such excitement about going please you got the airbnb money to use go Enjoy it. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a special heads up for you. There is a very odd, obscure method of identity theft that I just want on your radar. It's where someone uses your social security number that they know is a good number with somebody else's name and what often is referred to as John Doe, Jane Doe identity theft they are then buying things as if they are somebody else's name but your number it takes longer for the system to catch up and it becomes very confusing to people who are victims of identity theft where you're getting called and they're asking for somebody else's name at your number and then they're saying you get a number of calls for this other name that's likely what's going on and i just want you to know that this is one of the wrinkles with identity theft that people are having to deal with and if you do start getting 
strange calls from a collector, what sounds like a bill collector, for somebody else's name at your number, I want you to immediately get copies of your credit report and see if any weird charges, new accounts are posting to your credit. And that is likely what connects the mystery about why you're getting calls to your number about another named individual. You have some same kind of things to deal with, with identity theft and cleaning it up, but it's a little more work when somebody uses a different name but your number. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. I need to give you good news if you are a former student who is attempting to get student loan forgiveness. As you've heard many callers over the years, as you've heard me talk about, there are all kinds of administrative problems with the federal student loan forgiveness program. There are two basic types. One is student loan forgiveness for those who work in public service jobs, police officer, firefighter, teacher, nonprofit, uh, who get loan forgiveness after 10 years of on-time payments. And then for non-public service workers, there generally are programs that will potentially forgive loans after payments of 20 years or more. Well, the problem is people who've been paying in good faith, thinking they were clicking off years in the uh, forgiveness program, have ended up being cheated by their federal loan servicer. The loan servicers don't have incentives to treat people right. In fact, they have incentives to cheat people. And that's exactly how the industry has behaved. So the Congress just passed legislation that will allow people who have done what they were supposed to do but didn't necessarily check off every clerical mark to have their years of payments count towards the loan forgiveness. In addition, Congress put money in the budget specifically for loan forgiveness, but they only put so much money. And so what it means is that if you were someone who in good faith has been doing what you were supposed to do to pay on your student loans, you were in the uh, cycle that you thought would lead to the remainder of your student loans being forgiven, then you were notified, nope, nope, you got nothing, that you now have hope on two points. One, that your years will count, and two, that the Congress allocated some money to actually fund the forgiveness. As far as the money, it is first come, first serve, which means that some people, at least at this point, still will not get money for loan forgiveness because, well, there's not going to be enough money to pay for everybody. So there are specific procedures that explain this at Clark.com. What are the things you need to do to get those prior years of payments 
counted towards your loan forgiveness and what other steps you need to take. So basically this is, for lack of a better term, it's an amnesty period for you for the dishonesty and or incompetence of the federal student loan processors. So you're able to get your years reinstated or instated, whatever we'd call it, and not be punished for crooked lenders and incompetence. So again, go to Clark.com. We'll walk you through what you need to do. Make sure that any family member who is in a public service job who you think or know borrowed under the federal student loan program knows that they've got to make sure they're doing everything 100% exactly right to qualify for the forgiveness. Keith is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Keith. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Keith. You have a question for me about Charles Schwab. Yeah, so I know uh, a couple months ago you had uh, spoken about certain money managers making bonuses off of putting people in certain investments, and I do all of my investing and IRAs with them, and I just don't know how I know if I'm in any of those funds and uh, if my money manager is really acting as a fiduciary for me. So that's a great question. The person who's representing you, are they a Schwab employee or are they an outside firm? They are a Schwab employee. So uh, you can ask your money manager directly, are you a fiduciary? And they have to tell you. If you don't ask the question, they don't have to disclose it. Yeah, yeah. Have you asked the question? I haven't. I guess it's kind of one of those uncomfortable questions to ask, like, hey, are you doing the right thing? No, you just, (laughs) this is how I'd ask. I'd say, I'm really confused. This guy who is on the radio loves Charles Schwab and was very upset recently about Schwab, and these are the things that he was upset about. So it's not like you're saying, you're just saying, hey, I'm confused here because this guy Clark Howard's saying this stuff about you, and even though he loves Schwab, he's upset. So what's the story and so that immediately puts the frame where you're not asking the uncomfortable questions. I'm the yeah. one that's the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. So, and then say, are you a fiduciary? And person has to answer that. Yeah. And if they're not, then you need to ask, well, how do I know that the things you're putting me in aren't what Clark's talking about, that you were putting me in things that were bad for me that cost me more money so you could make more. Yeah. So just, I, I just just make it all about um about me being the bad guy saying things about them and all yeah. you're doing is asking to be reassured. Yeah, there's just no transparency online of how much anything costs, so it's so hard to know how and much What kind of things have you invested in at Schwab? Uh, I mean, they, that's the thing. So, like, they do all the, they manage it all for me. So, looking at all the investments they have me in, there's ETFs and uh, various, you know, mutual funds that they have me in. So, ETFs, and, by their very nature, cost basically nothing. Okay. So, ETFs 
are for anybody listening who doesn't know what we're talking about keith exchange traded funds they're kind of like a mutual fund that trades like a stock is the simplest and most uh, inaccurate explanation i can give but they carry extremely low costs and mutual funds are they schwab's own or are they other companies mutual funds they're other companies so you can uh you should be able to ask your representative what are the uh, management fees on this and then another question you ask are there any 12b1 charges you don't want to be in any funds that have 12b1s okay and you'll you'll know when you bring this topic up you'll be able to tell if your Schwab representative is being evasive or direct with you and gotcha. you'll also have made it very clear to your representative that you're watching and you only want to be in the lowest cost investment choices that are available sounds good thank you very much All right and um i'd love follow-up from you keith okay. if uh if the conversation kind of goes off the rails with you and your rep okay have a great day Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Mike. I love what you're about to delve into here. Hit me with your question, if you would. Okay, so I just got a new job, and they let me drive the company car for personal use now, and uh, I don't really have much of a use for my old car, so I decided I'm going to get rid of it and talking to my insurance agent. They suggested I carry a non-owner vehicle coverage. One of the um, most overlooked policies there is out there, and one that I believe in very much. So your agent is giving you what I believe to be good advice. And this is going to become a huge issue over the next several years because so many people are choosing not to own a car anymore and they're using uh, zip cars or equivalents or they're using Turo or any of a number of things where they're using other people's vehicles on temporary cycles. And so in your case, you're only going to have the company vehicle, which means, do you know why? I'm curious, how did the agent explain why it would be good for you to have the non-owner's policy? Uh, I think the first point, this was a couple of months ago I had the conversation, but I think the first point he made and the biggest one was to maintain uh, or, or to prevent having a gap in coverage if I were to buy a car again. And then also if I were to rent the vehicle, I could it would be covered. And, uh, there, there was, only only there for was a liability with a typical non-owner's policy. I guess it's possible one would cover collision and comprehensive with a rental car. I I shouldn't say they wouldn't, but more often than not, it's really about the liability side of things. Um, The first thing you mentioned, not having a break in auto insurance coverage, I would say that would be a lower priority. I'm really much more concerned about the liability side. Because if you're in a wreck in the company vehicle and you're at fault 
and the company has so much coverage, beyond that, you're still potentially at risk. And that's uh, why there's such an advantage with the non-owner. Okay. And with these other situations that are different than yours, where somebody uh, just gets a car occasionally and goes without owning one, uh, the same issue applies that if you had an accident that was an expensive one, you know, somebody gets uh, badly hurt and they're going to need care for a lengthy period of time or the rest of their lives, the liability exposure is so large that I really like it. Now, one other thing I would ask the agent about if you do decide to buy a non-owner policy is can you buy uninsured motorist coverage as part of it? Because one of the risks you face is that uh, you're in an accident with somebody else whose fault it is, and they either don't have insurance or they have minimal and you don't have enough coverage through your employer, potentially, for your medical costs. All so, right, I'll so, do that. So those are the two aspects I'm most interested in, is liability and the uninsured motorist. Great. I appreciate that. I, I was really curious about what, what this was all about, because I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, I have a brother who goes cycles without owning a car. And so he deals with those cycles with the non-owner policy. It is something that a lot of people who have uh, younger siblings or adult children who don't own cars, it's something you should encourage them to do, to own, and it's something that is not going to be on people's radar. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Billy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Billy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. How can I serve you today? Well, you can serve me by answering a question for me. Um, That'll be 20 bucks. All right. That checks in the mail. (laughs) Uh, My wife and I are on uh, disability uh, pensions and Social Social Security income. Um, We have one credit card. uh, We have one car payment. And the house is paid off. Yeah, our investments are half in annuity and half in market funds. Um, my question is this: in recent in the recent months, uh, my wife has gotten more ill, and I'm going to be taking over the the bill paying. Well, I'm really sorry your wife's not doing as well. Thank you, I appreciate that. My question is: um, I'd kind of like to get our bill paying onto maybe a cashback credit card where our monthly regular 
bills that roll over every month, gas and electric and what have you, which run about 1200 to $1,500 a month, give or take, um, we would just put on a credit card and then pay the credit card off in order to get the cash back. Yeah, and it'll depend on the bill whether they permit you to pay by credit card fee-free. Uh-huh. Some of the utility companies make you pay either a couple of dollars or even as much as 2% yeah. using a credit card. But the ones that allow you to use a card fee-free, mm-hmm. it's a great idea to use a cashback card. And what cashback card do you think is one of the better cards out there that, that might be available? There are actually two that are my favorite. Uh-huh. One of them is from Citibank. It's the City Double Cash Card, and it pays you 2%. But they do it in a really funky way. They pay you 1% at the time you do the charge and another percent when you pay the bill. Oh, okay. But it's, but it's 2%. I don't know who in their marketing department thought it was smart to make it so weird. But anyway, it's 2% just straight up everything you ever charge to it. Right. And if you have any investment accounts, retirement accounts, brokerage account anything with fidelity investments mm-hmm. do you have anything with them not with fidelity no okay just for other people let me mention fidelity has a two percent cashback card that the money can go into uh, an investment account retirement account or college savings plan oh, we and, might actually we might have a fidelity tammy my wife says we do have a fidelity well tammy knows all right well yeah she does okay so then uh, doing the Fidelity card might work really well for you because you're already in their system. Okay. And so 2% is, that's, the, that's really much higher than effectively what most reward cards pay. Okay. Because most of them are paying one and a quarter to one and a half percent. Right. And you get up to 2%, you're in pretty rarefied air. Okay, and then uh, are these cards that you pay an annual fee? No. Okay. No, you know, it's ironic. The only cards that tend to have annual fees are airline miles cards. Yeah. Nothing else in the credit card universe pretty much has annual fees except uh, cards for people with challenge credit. Okay. Our previous card we were just using um, at will, we didn't really use it at all for bills. We wrote checks, but it was for everything else. And we still have to pay down a little uh, a HELOC that we got to do some home renovations. But when we start, then we'll we'll look into this Fidelity card. But what we were using was a card that just gave you points toward, and we would use it towards uh, gift cards at Christmas time. Well, I much prefer cash because the points at some point they could devalue the points and say this only gets you this much or that much getting 2% cash back, you know that's your cash. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.